everyone, and welcome to Killing Retirement, the show that breaks down the myths that you have about money and hopefully shows you the path to creating a paycheck for life to pay for all the things that you desire to do someday, one day. And we hope that someday, one day is actually today. And what we're trying to do here with this notion of killing retirement, myself, Charlie Epstein, I'm your host. I'm the man who's on a quest to kill retirement. And this notion of killing retirement is to get you to start thinking about, are you really living the life that you're most passionate about? Are you doing all the things that you desire most? I've been talking to great individuals around the country and now even around the world who have told me stories about, well, I went to Harvard Engineering School, got an engineering degree and did that because I thought that would be the best thing to do in order to earn a living. And then I realized one day, I don't really love this. What I'm really passionate about is something else. So I'm reaching out and connecting with people who I think are on the cutting edge of this notion of killing retirement and are actually living proof that you don't have to do what you're not passionate and you don't love doing for the money. So today I'm just so excited that we're going to be talking with Joshua Lattimore, a former banker at JP Morgan Chase. And Josh, I know you're actually coming to us from Costa Rica. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Thank you, Charlie. Good. You sound loud and clear. You know, isn't it funny? I have to say, can you hear me like you're down there in Costa Rica, right? As if no one would hear yeah. you down there. <laughs> well, luckily, my voice travels at the speed of light, thank God. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we should be good. That's technology. So, uh, you know, I, I love this. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Josh, first of all, just right at the beginning, I'm just going to let you know how you can reach out to him, Josh, at automategrowcell.com. And when you come to his landing page, you're going to learn a lot about Josh and how he left this safe and secure job as a banker for J.P. Morgan Chase to start a cleaning business at the age of 25. And on this show, Josh, I think it's great. We're talking about what people are passionate about. And I'm certain when you tell this story, people are like, cleaning business? That's your passion? So before we even get to that, I'm just curious to hear about your story. How? First of all, why did you become a former banker or investment banker, J.P. Morgan Chase? Let's talk about that first. What led you down that path? Well, Charlie, you know, for me, um, my story definitely has very humble beginnings. My, I come from a working blue class family up near Flint, Michigan. A lot of people are familiar with Flint because of the water crisis recently, and it's in the headlines in a bad way. But the deal is with me is that, you know, I was raised around a group of blue collar people. You know, they look at the world a particular way. They see things a particular way. And I always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in myself, even when I was very young. In fact, one time my parents had went on vacation when I was 18 years old and they came back and I had bought 14 candy machines on a credit card thinking I was going to have these visions of grandeur and build this you know, candy business. And our whole garage was full of boxes and they were not happy to say the least. In fact, they thought something was completely <laughs> wrong with me because I just always would try to, you know, see opportunity. And I was fascinated by business and finance and real estate and all of that stuff. And even in high school, I was reading, you know, books on wholesaling properties and all, anything I could get my hands on. But, you know, I went down the path, the traditional career path, because of just the pressure to conform a little bit. You know, we have this box and we're supposed to fit in the box. And when you go to school, you know, you know, grammar school teaches us how to get a JLB. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with a JLB at all, but something just never sat right with me. And 
finally, after my wife had got pregnant with my first son, Maverick, I kind of panicked, you know, and so going to the bank and sitting in my cubicle and having my little tie on, I just, I started, I mean, honestly, to just freak out a little bit. And I just, I could see myself flashing forward, you know, 40 years in a job I didn't really have any passion for at all, doing what my dad had done, which was, you know, sacrifice and work hard for his family, but really just kind of sort of be miserable as I did it. And I just decided I, I couldn't live like that. So I left that job to start a window cleaning business, which is a very weird business. My own mother wouldn't talk to me for a week. In fact, she was so upset, you know, because um, in the traditional mindset, you know, it's so risky to do this type of thing. It's such a, such a huge leap. Uh, but through, through a series of mentors and people that invested in my life, little by little, you know, I, I built a really, really nice business. And for me, now, I'm not passionate about window cleaning, but I was passionate about lifestyle. I was passionate about being intentional with the time I spent with my wife and the time I spent with my children and having some flexibility in the way that I would do stuff uh, with my day. So, you know, it took several years of laying a foundation, but my business was, you know, fully automated. In fact, before I sold it, you know, the last two years I had that company, I only worked about five hours a week on that business because, you know, I had a full team in place. I had put the systems and this architecture inside of that company to where it would really run itself. And eventually, like you had mentioned, I sold it. I now live in Costa Rica and I'm doing some other projects, but that's kind of my, my backstory. So how old were you when you started at JP Morgan and then left? I was 26. Three. I got in there pretty young. I had done a, a year and a half of mortgage banking first uh, with uh, Quicken Loans, which is a really large company up in Michigan. And then I went into banking because I had a friend who was an executive at the bank, and he had been recruiting me. Uh, I've always been, you know, a natural salesman, so to speak. And so dealing with people and helping small businesses and selling financial services, I, I was pretty good at it. And I, I love numbers and I love finance. But again. It just didn't do it for me in the sense that I was, you know, bound to their time frame. I was bound to their hours. I was bound to their vision for my life. And I just didn't have control over what I wanted. I didn't even know really what I wanted my vision to be, but I knew that it just wasn't that. And so take, just take us through. So there you are, you're doing banking and you know this isn't it. You know, that's the trip, right? People, people realize every day there's that voice in their head. And they're going, you know what, Josh, Charlie, this, this, this just isn't it. And that gnaws at you. So as it was gnawing at you, how did you start to figure out, okay, this isn't it, but how do I break out of that blue collar? You got your degree, all that pressure to launching yourself. Take us through that. Well, this is a really good question because almost everybody that I know knows what they don't want. But to really to pivot into a different type of lifestyle or to, or to start a business or to do something different, it doesn't help you to know what you don't want. I mean, the number one thing I start with when I coach people is you have to begin with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey says, and you have to understand what you do want. And so for me, because you know, I knew that the, that job wasn't a fit for me in the long run. But the reason I knew it wasn't a fit for me is because 
I had a very specific, clear, I could shut my eyes and see, I could, I could see the vision for how I wanted my lifestyle to be and how I wanted control of time and I wanted location freedom and I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to be able to impact the world. I wanted to do all these things. As I would visualize that why, which is the most important step, is understanding your why. As I would do that, it wasn't compatible with the job that I had. So it was more of a focusing on my why and taking any means I needed to get there to get to it. I mean, window cleaning was a strange business, but it didn't have to be that. I mean, any business, I wasn't passionate about that. I was passionate about my why. I was passionate about being in control of my own destiny. And when I talk to people, everybody says, well, I don't like this, or I don't want that, or I don't want to lose all my money, or I don't, I don't want to have to do this. I'd, and those things really can't help you make the changes you need, in my opinion. You, you need to focus on what you do want. What does that look like specifically? Right? So, and you need to really wrap your head around that first. So what's interesting to me, and, uh, and I love this, that, you know, the key is what do you want? You know, I have a daughter who's 20 years old and that age, you know, you were 23 working at the bank and I'm constantly saying to her, you know, what do you want? to do? What, what are you passionate about? And she goes, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want to do. And I, it's, you know, when you see somebody struggling with the what, and as you said, you got to first start with the why, why are you going to do what you do? And you talked about, you know, visualizing this lifestyle. So are you saying to me that you went and said, you know, I can't have the lifestyle that I want working for JP Morgan so I need a business that can support my lifestyle. So I have more freedom in my family. You have four kids now, I think. So I can live where I want to live, Costa Rica. But there's still that piece. I know our listeners are going, okay, so Josh, he knows what he wants. But why the cleaning business to get there? Tell us about that. And how did that come about? And how did that allow you to create that life that you were visualizing while you were in your cubicle? Well, what happened with the cleaning business, you know, the window cleaning business is a highly fragmented industry. There's a million people that do it in a million locations all over the country. In fact, it's a difficult business to scale for a lot of different reasons. One, because there's a low barrier to entry to the, to the industry. The other, one of the other reasons is you're inside, you know, million dollar homes, you're inside these people's beautiful homes. So when you're scaling your business and you're bringing on team members, it can be a little tricky to build a company culture that will scale because, you know, no one's going to do it as good as you do it in the beginning. But the reason I chose that business, Charlie, is really simple. Uh, my why was to be with my family. And, and, and I was obsessed with that. So it was a seasonal business with super high margins that was a repeat service. And those were the three things I targeted. You know, I wanted something that was, you know, a repeat residual service that, you know, windows get dirty over and over again, super high margins. You're essentially selling soapy water and labor. Um, and, and it was, it was seasonal. So I would take the winters off and play with my kids. I was like a reverse teacher in the beginning. Um, and that, so I got an immediate benefit when, when I rolled into that career because I had, you know, eight weeks in the winter to, you know, strategize on my business systems and hang out with my family more. And that was really my driving force. Mm. You know, we're kindred spirits. I, uh, when I graduated college, I was an economics major who lived in the theater. And my father always said, well, you know, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to go to New York and be a starving actor. He was like, okay, yeah, but what are you really going to do? 
So I made that <laughs> choice like you did with J.P. Morgan to put on a suit and tie and come back to the booming metropolis of Springfield, Mass., and sell life insurance at 21 to people who didn't want to buy life insurance. But like you, I was stubborn about it, but I always harbored in the back of my mind to get my business to a place where it could support the lifestyle that I wanted, like you share. And that's what this notion of killing retirement is. And in 1988, I drove in my car to Boston to an open call for all the summer theaters in New England. Hadn't been on a stage in seven, eight years. Walked out, did a two-minute audition. And one theater, the state's Shakespearean Theater, Monmouth, Maine, hired me as an intern. I was 31 years old. You know, the average age of an intern is college kid, 18, 19. But here was the good news, Josh. They were going to pay me $50 a week plus room and board. And I always say the $50, eh, but if you feed an actor, we'll go anywhere. And for the next 12 years, <laughs> I took three to five months off a year from my financial business, became a professional actor, got my union card, did stand up did improv, got an agent, and and lived that lifestyle that I was passionate about. So I'm just so connecting. I love what you said about, hmm, find a business or something that you're going to do that supports what you love most, which is your family, it sounds like. So Yeah, for me, that, that was my life. Yeah, for sure. So how did you – you're a systems guy, and that seems to be your specialty. So let's talk about that because – Obviously, that was critical. So tell us about, you know, A, why are systems important? And more, actually, even before that, a lot of people might not even understand systems. So what, what are these systems that you talk about that you put in place to allow you to work five hours a week, I think you said? Well, okay. Um, let, let me interject one of my favorite statistics. Yeah. About your theater story, it really got me fired up because one of my favorite statistics is that 10 out of 10 people die, <laughs> right? So it sounds morbid, right? But there's another quote that says, a wise man thinks of death often, not in a morbid way, but the point is this, is that I've never met someone who lies on their deathbed ever. I've never even heard of this happening and says, oh, you know, I wish back in 1988, I, I would have got the in-ground pool instead of the above-ground pool. You know, no one says that stuff. No, because, you know, everybody sings the same song when it's all over. I mean, we get one rodeo, we have a life, and we are the road builders for our own life. But people don't even understand that they're, they are in control. They can make decisions. They can pivot out of where they're at now. It's like, it's like it feels impossible. And that feeling feels very intensely to you, but it's not true. And you are the road builder for your life. So as far as systems go, um, a system is just a simple reoccurring process that you automate in some way. And, and in business, what it looks like is uh, as you lay the foundation for your company, you have to, to structure the architecture of every single tiny little internal process in your business in a very consistent, automated way. I mean, McDonald's is the ultimate example of systems because, uh, you know, a good McDonald's location can crank out $5 million a year in revenue. And the whole thing is run by 15-year-olds, right? So, you know, with, with McDonald's, they don't even put the, the soda in the cup. Like, they have this cup conveyor system, which always fascinates me. When that came out, I was like, are you serious? Like, you even need to systemize that? You know, they put the cup in a conveyor, and they push a button, and the thing drives around the track, and it shows up the exact amount of soda, or as we call it in Michigan, pop, 
um, the point is this, is that a system is just a way to give yourself space. It creates little bits of space for you. Uh, and then as you grow your company, you slowly remove yourself out of different areas of the business because if your company relies 100% on you to function, if you went on vacation for a month and your business crumbled, here's the, here's the bad news. You really don't even have a business. You just own your own job. And, you know, so I talk a lot about the difference between being self-employed and the difference between having a business. But irregardless if someone wants a business, I want people to understand that if they can wrap their head around what their why is, what their passion is, the thing that they've got to get to before they kick the bucket and leave this planet, if they can wrap their head around that, then and only then can you begin to build the roadmap to that destination. I mean, you can't build a road if you don't know where you're going specifically. Absolutely. So let's talk about how you made the transition then from selling your business to the company that you have now, Automate, Grow, Sell, living in Costa Rica. So why Costa Rica? Well, me and my wife for a couple of years really, really felt called down here. I mean, we do some work with some youth ministries and we, we just, we couldn't escape this little tug that we kept feeling. And, you know, being that we're in a position at a young age, really, to have what we call location freedom, you know, it was, it was a realistic option. So mm. selling my business, was relatively easy because it was a real business. I didn't have to touch it for it to produce earnings. And, you know, the less you have to touch your business and the more earnings it produces, the higher multiple you can sell it for. And, and so a lot of self-employed people, they, they struggle because you can't really sell your job. If you buy Bob's, you know, uh, bakery, if I'm an investor and I want to buy Bob's bakery, but Bob is the baker and the HR guy and the, and, the, and the phone operator and the sales guy and Bob's everything. So Bob doesn't come with purchase. So there's nothing to buy asset there. Um, so I help small businesses understand really the internal guts of how to automate and systemize that. What I call it the architecture and all the little moving pieces in their business because then they have a real asset. Then they have more options. And even if they don't want to sell, it's always better to own something that you could sell if you wanted to. So you followed your passions, you and your wife, you, you're living where you want to. You're following really your, your life's mission, right? There's nothing better than things that you want to make a difference in like you talked about. I mean, that's really why we're on the planet to begin with. You know, I always say to my children and, and my friends, what difference do you want to make? What impact do you want to have? on the people around you and on the world for that matter. So you're definitely a man who not only speaks the talk is now walking the talk. So how does someone build that kind of system? Uh, you say it's a simple system into their business and can you help anybody do that? Can a service business be systematized? For example, I'm in the financial services business. I have employees. I coach advisors all over the country, but it's just like you said, I'm the guy. Right, right. And I understand that very much. And I have some highly successful friends who are, you know, insurance agents and they're in all kinds of financial services. And sorry to hear certain that. Things can be systemized. <laughs> certain things can be systemized more than others, but you can always look at your business and the workflows and you can always create more space for yourself. Always. Mm. By just taking, I call it getting in the hot air balloon. I mean, 
when you're working in the daily business and you're listening to this podcast and you're driving in your car on the way to the job you don't care for, it's hard to see how this is possible. But what, the first thing you have to do is get in the hot air balloon and really zoom out and, and look at your, your current situation because there's always little simple ways to create what I call space for yourself. So you can think, you know, most people, Charlie, they don't even spend time just thinking, who am I? What's my deal? Why am I here? What am I trying to do? And I'm not trying to be all, you know, Tony Robbins on you or something, but really they, they don't even stop for five seconds to look at their business. So in your case, there could be things you do to delegate more responsibility to your team members. Maybe, maybe you're a perfectionist and maybe it really bothers you when, when someone else does some certain tasks in your business. And so you do it, you always do it. You're the guy, but really systemizing your business is all about being the coach and not the quarterback, right? So you still are going to need to meet with high-end clients. You still need to go sign the deal, close the deal, get that big, whatever you're selling. And that's fine, but there's all kinds of other ancillary tasks inside your company. And maybe someone like you being that perfectionist, they want to be the quarterback. The way to create space for yourself is by giving people permission to fail, coaching them through their mistakes, and building a real team. Because you can't systemize really anything very, very well unless you start to assemble a team, a team of people you care about, a team of people you invest in their life a team of people who you help them to find their own why and how working for you can get them on that path. I mean, there's all kinds of things in there to unpack, but in general, yeah, you can customize even that type of a business. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I can, I, I totally concur with that, but I really, really love what you say about creating more space for yourself. You know, in our 401k coach program, where I coach financial advisors all over the country in a similar fashion to system systematize their business like you're doing, we have something called the diagnostic journal, and it's a part of the homework. I tell all the advisors before they come into our two-day uh, workshop, they need to write down everything they do for 30 days, and they can't do it on a computer, and they can't do it on an iPhone. They have to actually write it down. It's a, it's a booklet that we've created. Every activity they do, what the purpose of that activity is, why they did that activity, what's the outcome they want to produce, and what's the next result. And we make them do that for a month. Every week, we have them do a triage, add up every activity they did, every first meeting, every closing meeting, every referral they got. And the whole purpose of that is for them to now write down and look at how many hours did somebody actually write a check to them, what we call checkable hours. Mm -hmm because that's what they're in the business to do. They're in the business to get someone to write a check. It's like in the theater business, we were in the business, we were selling tickets, you know? Nobody comes to the show, we got nobody to perform to, you gotta sell the tickets. Now, what's shocking is most people will find in a week that they work 40, 50, or 60 hours. These are entrepreneurs, because anybody that works for somebody is getting a paycheck, whether they show up or not. But you and I know that as an entrepreneur trying to build that lifestyle, You've got to get people to write checks and they find out maybe for 10 hours out of the 50 they worked, somebody wrote them a check and I say, well, what did you do the other 40 hours that nobody wrote you a check for? And could you have hired somebody else to have done that 40 hour of work? And if you did, what would you pay them versus what you're paying yourself to do what you shouldn't be doing? 
So that is very powerful. It's, it's so powerful. And I love it because it's what you're talking about, creating more space for yourself and getting in that hot air balloon. But it really does come back to, and I want to get into this, bravery, guts, and grit. You know, at the end yeah. of the day, you had to have the guts and the grit and the bravery to say, J.P. Morgan, no more. This is not my calling. This is not my why. This is not what I'm passionate about. And I'm not going to sell my soul to the devil, the dollar, until I create and design that life. So where did that grit come from, that courage to do that? Well, I'll tell you, you're right on the money. And it's a sad thing to look at the average American and look at how much fear people live in. I mean, and, and that's not to say that my life is cupcakes and, and lollipops, because it's not. I mean, we sold everything we have. We sold our house, our business. My mom, my, I'm sorry, my wife left the job she loved of 11 years. And we brought four kids down to Central America. And it's been a very hard, right? Yeah. But, you know, as we piece together, you know, but it starts with taking massive action. You know, some people are perpetual consumers of information. Some people listen to 32 podcasts a week, but they don't do anything. So <laughs> bravery, you know, being brave doesn't mean that you're not scared. Being brave means that you take massive action while you're scared. And so, you know, I love all the old Bible stories, you know, David and Goliath, you know, they got this, this kid, right? And this kid is, is trying to, you know, kill this, this nine foot tall, you know, bully, right? And so all these grown men, all these soldiers are looking at Goliath and, and they're just absolutely petrified. And the 16 year old kid comes along and says, who the freak is this guy? Who does he think he is? Right. And he goes and he grabs his rock and he walks out there. I can't imagine what that must have looked like to experience that. But the point is, is that typically uh, I do my best work with a knot in my stomach. And what I mean is that sometimes when you put your back against the wall a little bit and you light the bridge on fire a little bit, you know, you really only have two options, fail or make it happen. And I, I, I have a tendency to put myself in those situations <laughs> a lot. And uh, my wife's used to it at this point. But that's where the magic happens is when you take massive action, even though you don't have all the answers. And when you try to play everything super safe, you're just going to end up with mediocrity and your lifestyle end up with mediocrity. You know, you're going to sort of maybe almost get what you want rather than crushing it and really getting what you want. So, so really what I hear you saying is one of your internal systems and, and correct me if I'm wrong is, is when there's a knot in my stomach and my mind or my body is screaming, don't do this. You're saying I'm on track. I'm headed in the right direction. I'm about to well, dive back into that fire. Whereas 99% of the population, when they have that feeling, fight or flight, they go, oh, oh, I better not go there. I'll get burnt. Well, that's right. But that's why it's important to have a very clear why. Because there's lots of stuff all of us could do. But how do you decide... How do you distill what you could do down into what you should do, right? So it's not taking risks for the sake of risk. It's about taking intelligent risks. And it's about understanding your trajectory. And every decision you make, when you make your financial advisors fill out that worksheet, the thing that's fascinating about that and powerful is that they, if they have a, a solid why, if they have a clear destination, like I am getting up every day because someday this is going to exist in my life, 
everything that they put on that sheet, it either moves them closer to that or farther away. So it's really easy to see the path once you have a clear why. And, you know, someone that has a why of, you know, making a half a million dollars a year of income and renewals as an insurance agent, they're going to easily recognize that, you know, filling out paperwork or answering inbound, you know, inquiry calls isn't going to move them to that goal quickly, right? Like that's an easy delegatable task. And so it's really, it makes decision-making a lot easier. So again, risk is important and courage isn't about not being afraid, but it's about taking massive action. But just as a caveat, it's taking massive action towards your why. Yeah. And I think there's other thing that's really important because oftentimes, and I don't know if you find this true when you're coaching people uh, regarding, you know, risk and, and, and having that grit and that courage, it, something else you said is it's intelligent risk. You know, it's being able to assess yeah. the alternatives and the options and doing your research and doing your homework before you jump off. You know, if you've ever uh, bungee jumped, I think bungee jumping. Is I actually great. have bungee jumps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you know, the one thing about bungee jumping is it really looks cool and stupid all at the same time. And I remember my daughter was 13 and my son was eight. And we went up to New Hampshire and there's a place called Monkey Trunks, which should tell you something about, you know, only monkeys should be there. And my eight-year-old, we called him the monkey man because he could climb in anything. But my daughter saw the bungee jump that was part of the ropes course and said, Dad, we got to do that. And I remember going, okay. <laughs> and then she said, you go first. So you stand on this little little platform that's only circular as big as your feet and 12 foot feet. And then you look down into nothingness, but it's an intelligent risk because you look around and you see, okay, I have a safety rope. There's people around me. The guy ahead of me just did it and didn't go splat on the ground. Hmm. I think this will be okay, even though this is, ah, and off you go, right? Exactly. Yep. You took action. You know, stepping off the, lit, the ledge is the massive action. Right. And right. it's a big deal. Yes. Yeah, but, you know, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have had the experience if you didn't take that step. Yeah. So tell us, uh, how do people work with you? How do, how, how do our listeners reach out to you, uh, someone who has, I mean, this is amazing for our listeners, you know, that that worked in the J.P. Morgan banking business. I mean, right away, that's a beautiful picture. And then you found your why early. But I think, you know, I think there's a misnomer about finding your why. Josh, wouldn't you say that everybody's why is right there inside them and they just need to start telling the truth about it, right? Yeah, typically I find that to be true. I mean, when you're having a conversation with someone and then you, 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 you cover a certain topic or subject matter, and then all of a sudden their eyes light up, they become alive, they get passionate, their blood starts flowing. It's very easy to, to identify in people kind of what makes them tick and what their deal is. Everybody's different, but there's always something that really fires you up. And it doesn't matter what it is. Don't, don't obsess over how you're going to achieve it. The how questions are what keep everybody on the sideline. They won't take any action until they have all the answers and all the hows and how can I do that? But what about this? And I, I don't know how to do it. And those things are impossible to have at the very beginning. You won't know the answers to all of them. But my philosophy is there's always a way. There's always a way. There's always, always a way. And history favors the bold. And you have to take that intelligent risk 
and just go for it. And on, on the conservative side, I will say there's a lot of people who blow up their life making stupid choices. They'll take their life savings and they'll start a restaurant and they don't understand the business. They don't understand the cost structure. They have no idea how to lead people. And they're passionate about food, right? But they didn't spend enough time surrounding themselves with like-minded people and mentors and smart people. They, they didn't spend it, create enough space for themselves to really work through, you know, how this would work. Because just because you're passionate about food doesn't mean that you should start a restaurant tomorrow. So, you know, you don't want to just blow your life apart by just going crazy because you're so discontented, but rather build a plan, refine your why, look at all your options, network with smart people, and then do it, you know? So how do our smart listeners connect with you, Josh, and work with you to automate, grow, and if they want to even sell, sell more or sell their business? Well, if, if there's any small businesses out there that this resonates with, they can go to automategrowsell.com and learn more there. It's, a, it's an online web-based, kind of go at your own pace, very deep training platform. You know, there's, there's over 45 videos shot in Costa Rica, all broken into bite-sized chunks in a way that you can digest and kind of move through the process of building out the right company architecture and how to identify the different departments and areas in your company. You don't even realize there are departments and, and how to put the systems in place to really get you across the finish line and ultimately have a business that's a sellable asset. So, you know, just go to the website. There are limited spots on it. It kind of opens and closes with registrations. Um, right now, there's I do groups of 50 people at a time, and I think we're at about 45 for this for this group currently. Nice. Uh, but you can add yourself to the list and be notified to work with you. And tell us about SendGym.com. Well, SendGym is a really fun business, and it's a software company. And it's funny because I don't write code or anything, but it's an automated uh, follow-up system. So what it is, it's an iPhone app. You can just search for SendGym in the App Store, and it's on your phone, and you can use it to send postcards and emails to your customers after you have an appointment with them. So let's say that you, you go try to sell a life insurance policy to someone, and they're kind of not sure, or they're on the fence, and you go back out and get in your car, and you're going to leave. Well, before you leave, you grab Send Jim on your phone, you take a picture of their home from the street, type in their address, and then you push one button on your phone and it will initiate what's called a follow-up sequence. So you don't have to think about it again. It's going to send them a thank you card. You know, thank you so much for considering life insurance with me. Thank you for meeting with me. There's a beautiful picture of their house on the front of the card. And then, you know, a month later, it sends them, you know, an email with a picture of that house just saying, hey, this is Smith, you know, I'm just following up. How are things going? Whatever. And you can build as many steps in the sequence as you want. And so it essentially takes that follow-up process and simplifies it down to a single button. That's fantastic. Well, Josh, I really want to thank you for taking time out from – well, I don't even know if you're taking time out from because you're in Costa Rica. So maybe I should just <laughs> be upset that I'm not down there with you enjoying really great weather while we're up here in Massachusetts where it's really cold. But I'm – I will tell you this, this afternoon, I'm taking my 14-year-old son with one of his good friends and fathers, and we're headed up north for three or four days of good time skiing. So really want to thank you. Well, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. It is, the kids. Great conversation, and uh, I hope for our listeners, we've shared some amazing information. You know, Josh, it's just a great demonstration of having the grit and the guts, but more importantly, listening to your heart, listening to your soul, listening to that inner voice that 
is that why that you spoke about. And I just love your comments about giving yourself space. We just don't give ourselves space to sit back and say, what do I really want to do with my life? What impact do I want to have? What difference do I want to make? So we've been talking about this with Josh Lattimore, a successful entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial coach, a man about systems. And you can find him again at his website at automategrowcell.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash automatejosh. And also you can talk to him on Twitter at hashtag automatejosh. Really appreciate. Remember to check out our webpage, charlieepstein.com. And you can click on the RSS feed to get our Killing Retirement podcast delivered to you each month. And of course, you can always reach out to me for answers about how you can start to kill this notion of retirement, how you can start to really take a look at your myths about your life, about your money, and start to really connect with your why, design the life that you want, and really what you're passionate about. I'm Charlie Epstein, and I'm here to help you do that and create that paycheck for life. Right now, you can reach me at cdepstein at the401kcoach.com. Josh, thanks so much, and I look forward to crossing paths. If not in Costa Rica, I'm sure it'll be someplace else. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for that. Thank you.